get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday, October 11th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China is marking the progress of the Belt and Road Initiative as Beijing and its partners celebrate 10 years of cooperation under that framework. Israel says its military has retaken border areas seized by Hamas militants over the weekend. Romania vows ongoing support for Ukraine's efforts to export grain to global markets. In business, foreign financial institutions are bullish on China's growth prospects. In sports, the home favorite crashes out at the ATP Shanghai Masters. In culture and entertainment, the Tokyo International Film Festival will honor one of China's top directors later this month. Now checking the day's top stories. China's Belt and Road Initiative is marking its 10th anniversary. The Chinese Foreign Ministry says the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation will be held in Beijing on October 17th. President Xi Jinping will deliver a speech at the opening ceremony and host a banquet for foreign leaders and heads of international organizations attending that event. Well, meantime, China's released a white paper which highlights some of the major achievements brought about by the BRI over the past decade. The report notes that the BRI prioritizes connectivity of infrastructure and has been building an infrastructure network comprising six corridors, six routes, and multiple countries and ports. It cites progress in the construction of economic corridors and international routes such as the uh, Pelesic Bridge uniting Croatia and the 1,000-kilometer China-Lao Railway. Uh, the white paper says the maritime connectivity has boosted cargo transport efficiency. In aviation, China signed air transport agreements with over 100 BRI partner countries and opened direct flights with uh, 57 partner nations. International transport channels such as the China-Europe Railway Express and the Lianyungang-Korgos New Eurasian Land Sea Expressway have become operational. As a major participant in Europe, Serbia has been uh, seeing tangible benefits since it signed up for the initiative. Here's Serbian Parliament Speaker Vladimir Orlic sharing his thoughts. The Serbia Expressway built by the two nations is known to everybody. The belgrade Novi Sad section of the already built Hungary-Serbia railway is being extended and upgraded to connect Serbia and Central Europe. Serbia-China cooperation has also made great achievements in energy and other areas. In the meantime, the Nepali Prime Minister pledges to build on the momentum of the BRI and push for better development in his country. The BRI has provided Nepal with important resources to accelerate development and construction. Nepal should implement the BRI to accelerate development and promote prosperity and transform itself from a landlocked country to a land-linked country. That was the Nepali Prime Minister. Uh, Serbia is one of the countries benefiting from the Belt and Road Initiative, with the century-old steel mill in the northeastern city of uh, Smedervo serving as a prime example. Founded in 1913, the Smedervo steel mill once contributed 40% of the city's revenue at its peak and was known as the Pride of Serbia. Later, due to intensified market competition and poor operation, the steel mill began to lose money year after year and was on the verge of bankruptcy. 
bankruptcy. The government of Serbia initiated several rounds of international tenders, all of which failed until the steel mill came into a, a favorable turn in 2016. Leo Jehung has more. Vladin Alexic worked in the Serbian steel mill for 30 years. It was a place where he was emotionally attached and the job supported his family. It was uh, big pressure, not only for management, but it was a big pressure for people because they didn't know what is coming tomorrow. In April 2016, when over 5,000 employees faced uncertainty, Hebei Iron and Steel Group from China stepped in to establish HBIS Serbia Steel. Alexic is now the director of operations. The company's executive director is Song Sahai, a Chinese national. Upon his arrival in Serbia, Song noted the outdated equipment and nearly halted production lines at the steel mill. We teamed up with Serbia because it made sense for our business and it aligned with the Belt and Road Initiative. In the past, our country's steel industry made some investments abroad, but this is the first ever acquisition and operation of the entire industrial chain. Just two months after the founding of HBI Serbia Steel, on June 19th, the century-old steel mill received a special guest. Thousands of employees, their families, and spent arrival residents gathered at the factory to greet Chinese President Xi Jinping. Alexic says he was much honored to have the opportunity to meet him. After President Xi's speech, everyone knew that the Smedarevo steel mill was about to usher in a new future. I was very honored to participate in that conversation, followed by showing President Xi our hot-rolling equipment. I also had the opportunity to have a few minutes of cordial conversation with him. President Xi said the collaboration between Chinese and Serbian businesses had ushered in a new era of cooperation between the two countries. It is expected that through the strong partnership between both parties, the Smenderevo steel mill will rejuvenate, making a significant contribution to local employment, enhancing the quality of life for the people, and advancing Serbia's economic growth. The Chinese team introduced advanced management and technology, turning the steel mill into a global enterprise with a focus on clients and supply chain. According to director Song Sihai, by the end of 2016, only eight months after HBS's takeover, the steel mill became profitable. We have kept all 5,000 jobs intact, keeping our word to the workers. Since 2018, we have been Serbia's top exporters for four years straight, surpassing production records that go back more than 100 years. HBIS Serbian Steel invested several billion yuan to dismantle the plant's old buildings and equipment. It continuously introduced advanced global technologies and techniques, ensuring that the steel plant meets leading European standards for energy conservation, environmental protection, and green manufacturing. Boban Todrovic works at the HBS Serbia Steel Company. Most people working here spend three or four generations. I am the second generation in my family to work in the steel plant. When you tell someone you are a worker at Herbay Serbian Steel, it symbolizes success to them. Herbay Serbian Steel actively integrates into the Belt and Road and the process of economic globalization, rapidly establishing itself as a highly competitive steel enterprise in Europe and a prime example of international industrial collaboration. The revival of the century-old steel plant also revitalized the city. Now in Smenderevo, the livelihoods of 20,000 people are connected to the steel plant. The unemployment rate has dropped from 18% to 6%, while fiscal revenue has more than doubled. 
For the Beijing Hour, this is Liu Jiaheng. The UN General Assembly's elected 15 states to serve on the Human Rights Council for a new term. They include China, Cote d'Ivoire, Cuba, France, and Malawi. This will be China's sixth time serving. The results were decided through a secret ballot on Tuesday. A candidate must obtain more than half of the votes of member states to be elected. The 15 selected countries will begin their three-year term on the first day of next year. The Geneva-based council aims to promote and protect human rights around the world. But a third of the 47 members are replaced every year for the sake of continuity. Another earthquake has hit Afghanistan, leaving at least one death and 55 people injured. Media reports say the magnitude 6.3 earthquake in the early hours of Wednesday shook the northwest of the country at a depth of 10 kilometers. A series of quakes struck Afghanistan last week, killing over 2,400 people. Simaria Lai Abbasin reports from Afghanistan. That was a really heavy earthquake this morning again, uh, which shocked many areas, including the uh, provincial capital. Uh, the people here, there are dozens of tents everywhere, raised uh, and roadsides, and uh, there are uh, ordinary and local people uh, that are, are gathered from their shelters and houses because of the fear of the aftershocks and other earthquakes that uh, we've been experiencing since last couple of days that I am here in Herat city. Families, children, kids in these tents and they've been living in fear in these tents along with their families and they've been uh, ha having a hard time because the nights are much more chilly and it's cold for them and I have been speaking to most of them in this area and they told me that this is a huge and chaotic moment they've been frustrated because of the recent casualties and fatalities in many villages and there are still fears like it's been continuously happening. That was Imarilai Abbasin reporting from Herat. The International Monetary Fund has warned that the world economy is losing momentum in the face of a series of global challenges. The IMF has estimated global economic growth to slow from 3.5 percent in 2022 to 3% this year. It also projected 2.9% growth for next year, downgrading the previous estimate of 3% growth. The IMF says the global economy has continued to recover from COVID-19 and the Russia-Ukraine conflict and shown resilience to disruption in energy and food markets. But Chief Economist Pierre Olivier Garancha warns that the growth still remains slow and uneven, saying the global economy is limping along instead of sprinting. He adds that it's still early to assess the impacts of the ongoing Palestine-Israel conflict on global economic growth, and that the IMF is closely monitoring the situation. One of the things that we have uh, observed already is that uh, oil prices have increased somewhat over the last few days uh, by about uh, 4%. And uh, of course, this is something that we uh, see uh, um, often in situations where there is uh, geopolitical instability uh, in the region. We see uh, spikes in, uh, in energy prices and oil prices. Uh, we've seen that in, in, in previous, uh, previous crises and previous conflicts. The IMF adds that global divergences and uh, growing uh, with the, uh, the rather the growing with the slowdown uh, more pronounced in advanced economies and in emerging markets in uh, developing countries also warns that widening geopolitical rifts will increase costs for global prosperity and hamper multilateral cooperation in providing public goods. Coming up, Israeli troops take back border areas seized by Hamas militants.
dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. At 12 minutes past the hour. A fierce fighting is continuing between Israel and Palestine. The Palestinian side reports more than 900 deaths from Israeli attacks since fresh fighting began on the weekend. Meantime, Israel claims over 1,000 killed from Palestinian offensives. The country says its military has recaptured Gaza border areas from Hamas and that a plane carrying ammunition from the United States has arrived. Uh, U.S. news outlets report that Washington may send a second aircraft carrier towards Israel. Hamas has launched rockets targeting central Israel, including Tel Aviv. The United Nations says the fighting has displaced more than 180,000 people in the Gaza Strip and the number is still on the rise. John Gambrell has more from Jerusalem. Israel has continued its airstrikes on the Gaza Strip, and we're seeing something different from the Israeli military. In previous rounds of fighting against Hamas, they had largely done pinpoint strikes where they target individual high-rises or other buildings where they suspected Hamas militants were inside. This time around, though, we're seeing city blocks destroyed in this bombing. Now, analysts describe this as a way for the Israeli military to potentially soften up the area before they go in on this widely anticipated ground offensive. They've already called up some 300... 300,000 troops to be part of this, but at the same time, this also raises the risk for the civilians that are trapped inside of Gaza between the Hamas militants and the potentially advancing Israeli army. Meanwhile, we've had international aid groups, the United Nations, the International Committee of the Red Cross, as well as the World Health Organization, ask for a humanitarian corridor to be opened up into the Gaza Strip so they can bring in needed supplies such as medicine, bandages, and the rest. The Red Cross says that a lot of the injuries they're seeing from people in Gaza are either from blast injuries, from airstrikes, or from uh, rounds of ammunition being fired. Meanwhile, the Red Cross says they're also trying to reach out to both the Israeli and the Hamas side to discuss those who are held either prisoner or as hostage. Now, on the Hamas side, we know that they've taken over 100 Israelis in this attack, in the attack that started on Saturday. Hamas had made the threat to potentially execute these hostages over the Israeli airstrikes. Hamas has not carried that out, and it may have been, as analysts say, a way for them to try to stop the punishing airstrikes as they've seen so far. Meanwhile, the Red Cross says they're also trying to reach out to the Israeli side to find out if there's any Hamas militants that they've taken prisoner. The Red Cross, however, says that those negotiations are ongoing and they have not had any luck to talk to any of those hostages or those captives. That was John Gambrell reporting. A conflict continues between the Lebanese group Hezbollah and Israel along the border region. The clashes have opened up a new front for Israel as it battles Hamas militants in Gaza. Hezbollah has confirmed that it fired a guided missile at an Israeli tank on Tuesday. Israel, meantime, retaliated with a strike on an observation post of the Iran-backed group. U.S. President Joe Biden's vowed full support for Israel after several American citizens were killed in the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Jim Spellman reports from Washington. U.S. President Joe Biden was briefed Tuesday morning by his national security team about the situation in Israel. The president then spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. President Biden reiterated his support for Israel. We must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel, and we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. 
The White House has also been communicating with European allies to coordinate the response to the crisis. Militant groups in Gaza are believed to be holding more than 100 people prisoner, including Americans. Families of some of those U.S. citizens being held are calling for their safe return. The Israeli government has to bring back all the hostages that are kept in hostage by the Hamas terrorists. I want also to speak about the responsibility that the U.S. administration, President Biden, and the Secretary of State Blinken has for the lives of every U.S. citizen that is out there. President Biden says U.S. experts will consult with Israeli officials on a strategy to bring those prisoners home safely. That was Jim Spellman in the U.S. Capitol. The Russian president says the ongoing uh, Israel-Palestine conflicts a clear example of the failure of the policy of the United States in the Middle East. Vladimir Putin says the U.S. has tried to monopolize uh, the resolution of the conflict, but remained unconcerned with finding compromises acceptable to both sides. The United States promoted its own ideas about how this should be done, putting pressure on both sides first on one side, then on the other, every time without taking into account the fundamental interests of the Palestinian people, bearing in mind, first of all, the need to implement the UN Security Council decision on the creation of an independent, sovereign Palestinian state. Conflict between Israel and Palestine has so far killed hundreds and injured thousands of others on both sides since Hamas launched a surprise attack on Israel over the weekend. A foreign minister is from the European Union have wrapped up an emergency meeting on the situation in Israel and Gaza. Uh, they say the EU will continue sending humanitarian aid to Palestine while standing firmly alongside Israel. Alex Cadier has this report from Brussels. It's been a messy couple of days for the European Union and its position on the situation in Israel and Gaza. Shortly after the violence erupted, heads of state from across the bloc rushed to condemn Hamas's terrorist attack and expressed their strong solidarity with Israel. Among them was European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, who said Israel had a right to defend itself against what she called heinous attacks. But it's the EU's financial support of Palestine which ended up in the spotlight. Oliver Varheli, the EU's neighborhood commissioner, said all the development funding to Palestine would be suspended pending review. The problem is he announced this without consulting any of his colleagues, his boss, or any of the EU's member states, prompting a sharp U-turn from the EU and clarification from its top diplomat. The overwhelming majority was against the idea or the proposal of uh, suspending the payments to the Palestinian Authority. This is the thing that matters. If uh, they consider that it has to be done a review, we'll do a review. But this doesn't mean that the support to the Palestinian Authority is being suspended or the payments cancelled. That report from Alex Cadier on a recent EU emergency meeting for resolving the ongoing tensions in the Middle East. A foreign ministers from the Arab League are holding an emergency meeting to discuss political steps to stop the violence. In the meantime, Egypt is moving to prevent a mass exodus from the Gaza Strip into its Sinai Peninsula. Adel Al-Maruki has more from Cairo. Egypt has been opening the border so far only for um, health care and emergency cases alone. Um, the Egyptian government um, usually regulates the flow of Palestinians through the Rafah Passage, the only crossing between the Gaza Strip and any other country except 
Israel. Um, and since then, aid has been going in. Um, the Egyptian Red Crescent has been cooperating with the Palestinian Red Crescent in terms of supplying it with medication, food, and all other necessities. Uh, but this also comes, as you've mentioned, there are news that the, th the, the hundreds of thousands who are being displaced may turn to the Egyptian border and try um, to come in. Uh, but at this point, Egypt is not um, opening its border for this uh, purpose. Egypt has uh, always um, stressed that it is quite important for the Palestinians to take hold of their land in Gaza. And then a massive exodus or the evacuation of Gaza means that the entire Palestinian territory and the Palestinian cause have been wiped out basically. And therefore, um, Egypt, while it will keep on providing support and assistance, it is not going um, to allow a mass exodus out of Gaza into Egypt. That was Adele al Maruki in Egypt. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Romania's support for Ukraine's international grain exports. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. It's 22 minutes past the hour. A Romanian president, Klaus Johannes, has vowed to continue supporting Ukraine in its efforts to export grain. We reaffirmed Romania's commitment to work along with our international partners to facilitate the exports of Ukrainian grain to global markets. We support the Ukrainian economy and the urgent needs of the vulnerable states. We already agreed the doubling of the monthly capacity of the transit through Romanian port for Ukrainian grain quantities to 4 million tons. Johannes adds that Romania currently accounts for 60% of the total grain exports from Ukraine. The two countries signed an agreement in August to try and boost grain exports from Ukraine through Romania. The Black Sea port of Constanta in Romania has become a key transport route for Ukrainian grain. Finnish officials say the, uh, that sabotage may have damaged an undersea gas pipeline and telecommunications cable connecting Finland with Estonia. On Sunday, Finnish and Estonian gas system operators noted an unusual drop in pressure in the Baltic connector pipeline and then shut down the gas flow. The Finnish government said on Tuesday that there was damage to the pipeline and to a telecommunications cable between the two NATO countries. Finnish Prime Minister Pateri Orpo says authorities are still investigating this matter. 
Vuotokohta sijaitsee Suomen talousalueella. Leak is located in Finland's economic zone. According to a preliminary assessment, the observed damage could not have occurred as a result of normal use of the pipe or pressure fluctuations. It's likely that the damage is the result of external activity. The Finnish authorities, under the leadership of the National Bureau of Investigation, have launched an investigation into the matter. The incident comes just over a year after the Nord Stream gas pipelines running between Germany and Russia in the Baltic Sea were damaged by explosions believed to be sabotage. The 77-kilometer-long uh, Baltic connector pipeline runs uh, runs across the Gulf of Finland, transferring natural gas between Finland and Estonia, depending on supply and demand. London Luton Airport has suspended all flights after fire broke out at one of its car parks. A local fire service as up to uh, 1,200 vehicles may have been in the car park and subsequently damaged. At least four firefighters and a member of airport staff have been hospitalized for smoke inhalation. London Luton Airport is the UK's fifth largest airport, carrying more than 13 million passengers last year. Venezuela's foreign minister says the United States is conducting multifaceted aggression against Venezuela. Yvonne Gill made the comment on Tuesday at the United Nations Human Rights Committee in Geneva. He said the country has been under constant threat from foreign powers that seek to infringe on Venezuela. Gill said U.S. actions have had a negative impact on the rights of South American people. He pointed out that the U.S. and other countries have adopted more than 930 restrictive or punitive measures against Venezuela, greatly hampering the state's capacity to obtain necessary resources and services. The union representing Hollywood writers has announced the ratification of a new labor contract with a 99% approval rate. Members of the Writers Guild of America have been on a historic strike that lasted 148 days. Despite the gains they've made in the new labor contract, many are experiencing job anxiety. As actors continue with their own strike, Edis Tianchen explains. After a near five-month-old strike, writers have finally ratified a new labor contract worth $233 million, up from the $86 million offer by the studios. Though they've ended their strike, many writers like Vinny are still at the picket lines showing solidarity with actors, who were also there for the writers when they first walked out of their jobs. And some actors feel that a good deal brokered for writers could now bring about a good deal for them. I mean, we've been entirely optimistic because seeing that the AMPTP was willing to, unfortunately after 100 plus days, but willing to sit down with the WGA and then meet in the middle, which is the point of a negotiation every three years. And so that means that some of the requests that we made early on in this process should be able to find a happy medium. The longest strike in the history of the Writers' Union have secured significant benefits for its nearly 11,500 members, including additional bonuses from viewership performance on streaming platforms, minimum staffing requirements in writing rooms, as well as limits on the use of artificial intelligence. But despite the historic gains, some writers are feeling anxious about their future. The multi-front strike has already caused a major contraction in the entire TV and film industry. And many are worried that with the new standards, it may be harder to land a job. Negotiations between the actors' union SAG-AFTRA and the film studios are expected to resume on Wednesday as actors reach their three-month mark at the picket lines.
It's still unclear when they could reach a compromise, but it could take months for the entertainment industry to return to its normal pace. That was Edith Tianshan reporting from Hollywood. A coalition of former Australian of the Year winners has urged the country to vote yes in a landmark referendum on Indigenous rights. Australians are mauling whether to change the country's constitution to establish the so-called Indigenous voice, which would advise the federal parliament on all issues affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. In an open letter published across social media on Wednesday, 25 Australians of the Year spanning business, sport, science, medicine, music and advocacy said a no vote would lead Australia into a shameful dead end. We're at 28 past the hour, Beijing down to 12 degrees this evening. A light rainfall tomorrow, the high is 17. Chongqing has a light rain continuing through tomorrow with a low of 18, a high of 21. Lhasa has showers overnight continuing through tomorrow. The low is 6 degrees, the high 17. It's time for a short break. Uh, so far this hour, China's making uh, or marking the progress of the Belt and Road Initiative as Beijing and its partners celebrate 10 years of cooperation under that framework. Israel says its military has retaken border areas seized by Hamas militants over the weekend. And Romania vows ongoing support for Ukraine's efforts to export grain to global markets. And Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Deutsche Bahn, the 26th United Nations Climate. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好,我的中文一点点. or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了,我是本地人. There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, still to come. In business, foreign financial institutions are bullish on China's growth prospects. In sports, the home favorite crashes out at the ATP Shanghai Masters. In culture and entertainment, the Tokyo International Film Festival will honor one of China's top directors later this month. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, with today's headline news, here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping has paid a trip to the city of Zhejiang in the eastern province of Jiangxi. He 
toured the section of the Yangtze National Cultural Park in the city. President Xi learned about the construction of the park as well as the efforts for ecological restoration along the Yangtze River. The river was a cradle of the Chinese civilization. He also toured the Zhoujiang subsidiary of Sinopec, a major oil refiner, where he learned about the company's green transition efforts. The European Union's top diplomats will visit China this week. Joseph Borrell will be in Beijing at the invitation of senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi. The two sides will hold the 12th round of China-EU high-level strategic dialogue from Thursday to Saturday. The United Nations World Food Program has called for the setup of humanitarian corridors to bring food into Gaza. The United Nations human rights chief said that Israel's announcement of a complete siege of Gaza would exacerbate the already dire humanitarian situation in the Strip as he condemned alleged mass killings and executions by Palestinian militants. WFP Palestinian country director Samer Abdel Jabir said the region is in desperate need of humanitarian corridors to support those affected by the conflict. Today, we, we set out to reach 180,000 together with UNRWA that are residing in shelters with ready-to-eat food, including fresh bread from bakeries that are still able to operate in Gaza. We will be rolling our assistance through electronic vouchers so people can buy food from shops that are still operating. We are do doing everything we can, but very soon the food supplies and basic needs in Gaza are going to run out. We need a humanitarian corridor to be able to support the people who are affected, and their numbers are rising every day. We need safe and impeded access, and we need funding support now more than ever. The WFP has launched an emergency operation to bring essential supplies to hundreds of thousands of people in Gaza. Sixty families are now sheltering in a school that is used by the United Nations Relief and Works Agency as an emergency shelter. The WFP is trying to provide bread and other food supplies for the 250 people inside. The World Health Organization says the medical supplies it pre-positioned in seven hospitals in the Gaza Strip have been used up. The needs for such supplies are soaring amid the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine. WHO spokesperson Tariq Josaravik says the huge casualties outweigh the ability of the hospitals to treat them. These hospitals also activated the hospital emergency plans, prepared with support from WHO to better manage the surge of casualties. But with the number of casualties currently coming in, these hospitals are now running beyond their capacity. WHO is reprogramming uh, $1 million of US dollars to procure more urgently needed medical supplies from the local market to fill gaps in need. The WHO has been calling for an humanitarian corridor to allow new supplies to be delivered into Gaza. The spokesperson Ravina Shamdasani for the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights describes the conflict as an explosive powder keg situation calling on all parties to respect international humanitarian law. They must immediately cease attacks targeting civilians and attacks expected to cause disproportionate death and injury of civilians or damage to civilian objects. We are deeply shocked and appalled by allegations of summary execution of civilians. The UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East is helping shelter hundreds of thousands of displaced Gaza residents. In the U.S., the House Republican majority is stuck 
one week after the ouster of Speaker Kevin McCarthy, as lawmakers are unable to agree on a new leader. The stalemate threatens to keep Congress partly shuttered indefinitely. On Tuesday evening, two leader cont- leader con- leading contenders, Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan, were addressing colleagues behind closed doors at a candidate forum, but they appeared to be splitting the vote. McCarthy, meanwhile, was openly ready to reclaim the position he just lost, but many see him as a long-shot option, unlikely to win back the handful of hotliners who just ousted him. A train carrying military equipment has derailed in the western U.S. According to media reports, it was traveling from California to Fort Carson, a U.S. Army installation in Colorado. Fort Carson officials confirmed that there were no weapons or hazardous materials on board. There are no injury reports so far, and an investigation is underway. France has begun withdrawing its troops from Niger. The pullout comes more than two months after a coup by the Nigerian military who demanded that French troops depart. A convoy of French soldiers with trucks carrying equipment and armored vehicles from western Niger has arrived in the capital Niamey. A French defense source says the first group of soldiers with health or humanitarian reasons will be prioritized. There has been no official word on where the convoys are headed. Around 1,000 French troops are stationed in Niamey, with another 400 deployed at two bases in the northwest of the country near Mali and Burkina Faso. Hurricane Lydia has made landfall on Mexico's Pacific coast. The U.S. National Hurricane Center says it came ashore near the beach resort of Puerto Vallarta, packing maximum sustained winds of around 220 kilometers per hour. Forecasters have warned that the storm is extremely dangerous and are calling on locals to take precautions. Engineers have recovered the debris and presumed human remains from the Titan submersible, which imploded on a trip to the Titanic in June. All five passengers on board were killed. The U.S. Coast Guard says the remaining parts of the craft were salvaged from the seafloor last week and taken to a U.S. port, adding that medical officials will analyze the human remains. Thank you very much. That was Tian Yu. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, foreign financial institutions are bullish on China's growth prospects. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 38 past the hour, turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mainland markets inched uh, upwards today. Trade was a bit mixed. Uh, some investors started to feel hopeful of more economic stimulus from the central government. We saw the Shanghai Composite Index uh, adding about a tenth of one percent. The Shenzhen Component Index uh, rose about a third of one percent, so doing slightly better. Uh, tech and telecom stocks were the best performers of the session. We saw AI stocks like uh, iFlytech uh, looking pretty strong. Uh, it added seven and a half percent. And a sub-index that tracks 5G stocks gained 1.7%, also doing pretty well. Blue chip financials were also providing a bit of support to the Shanghai Composite. There were gains from uh, big banks and insurers. Uh, among the top contributors to uh, gains today in Shanghai, we had uh, Agricultural Bank of China and China Life Insurance.
And that was market analyst Timothy Pope reporting in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up around 1.3%. In Japan, the Nikkei gained uh, six-tenths of a percent. Many foreign financial institutions have raised their expectations for China's economic growth and suggested increasing their holdings of Chinese equities. JP Morgan and Citigroup lifted their pro uh, prospects for China's GDP growth to at or above 5%. And for more, Michael Wang spoke with Wang Yaojing, assistant professor in economics at Peking University. How attractive are Chinese equities based on where relative valuations stand right now? Uh, we are seeing many positive signs coming into the last quarter of 2023. Uh, for example, consumption boost in the National Day holiday week, uh, various policies, especially regarding the real estate market are taking effect, um, and more communication before uh, between China and the U.S. as uh, Chuck Schumer's visit to Beijing noted as a serious engagement with the Chinese leader. Um, expectations on the Fed uh, not raising the interest rate again towards the end of the year. All of these, uh, as the world's attention is shifting from uh, suppressing inflation to sustained growth, it is natural to give a positive assessment to the largest manufacturer and one of the biggest market in the world. However, allow me to mention some risk factors before we become too optimistic. Uh, one would be that there is still room for regulatory enforcement to improve in the domestic equity market as the financial system in China is still young and there are still lessons to learn. And the other one is that although China has good prospects on innovation, but one should allow some time before prospects to be realized into profits, then eventually benefit the equity holders. China's policy support, we've seen they're measured and they're more targeted. So what does this say about how Chinese decision makers think about the long-term health of China's development economy and balancing that with the interests of perhaps the short-term outlook? And this is, of course, due to the forward-looking nat nature of the Chinese government as they know that they're responsible for just not just one term or two terms, but the entire country's development in 20, 30, or 100 years. Uh, some of the large stimulus packages in other countries in the world might have been uh, more visible in the, in the short run, but we are already seeing the costs that came after, such as a, a high inflation, instability in the banking sector, and, and so on. And we believe that, that the Chinese government will continue to be cautious but supportive. This is how I think they, they should balance the um, uh, the trade-off between long-term and short-term when releasing uh, policies to ensure the long-term health of uh, China's development and economy. That was Wang Yaojing, assistant professor in economics at Peking University. China's National Administration of Financial Regulation has urged financial institutions to drive consumption by lowering the barriers to borrow and diversifying financial products to cater to the needs of various shopping environments. The new measures targeted a number of business sectors, including restaurants and online shopping using social media. The regulator specifically asked for the financial industry to facilitate new car purchases and lower the cost of owning electric vehicles. China's motor vehicle ownership reached 430 million units by the end of September. Over 18 million of them are new energy vehicles. Uh, 90 cities in the country boasted over a million automobiles, while 25 of them had over 3 million. Uh, the numbers of automobiles in Chengdu, Beijing, and Chongqing each exceeded 6 million. 
Despite the withdrawal of government subsidies, China's auto market is accelerating towards a new energy future. Uh, Wang Tianyu has more. In China's auto industry, Golden September and Silver October are used to describe the two most popular months for buying cars. The reasons behind this are complicated. Two national holidays falling close together, end-of-quarter dealer promotions, the back-to-school season, and even the cooling temperatures are all contributing factors. So far in this year's Golden September and Silver October, the performance of the entire Chinese auto market is relatively good. Both traditional fuel vehicle sales and new energy vehicle sales have seen strong yearly growth. According to the China Passenger Car Association, or CPCA, retail sales of China's passenger cars reached over 2 million in September marking a 4.7% annual jump. Sales of new energy vehicles, or NEVs, show more significant increases. In the same month, almost 750,000 new energy vehicles were sold, which is 22% higher than September last year. Throughout September, the customer flow in this store was very large. Compared with the same period last year, it increased around 30%. In terms of sales, there was a 40% jump. The customers coming to our store are generally families. They prefer large models such as SUVs. The CPCA predicts a total of 8.5 million new energy cars will be sold in 2023, roughly equal to everyone in the city of New York buying a new car. That was Wang Tianyu reporting. The cumulative trade value between China and countries participating in the Belt and Road Initiative reached 19.1 trillion U.S. dollars from 2013 through 2022. Deputy Director Song Liang of the National Development and Reform Commission attributes the progress to the efforts in building closer economic relations. China has actively developed mutually beneficial trade and investment cooperation with BI partner countries, advocated by China. The Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank and the Silk Road Fund have been funded, and a long-term, stable, sustainable and risk-controllable investment and financing system has been basically established. The cumulative two-way investment between China and the other BRI countries reached $380 billion U.S. billion, including $240 billion from China. This year marks the 10th anniversary of the proposal of the BRI. Over the past decade, China signed BRI cooperation documents with more than 150 countries and 30-plus international organizations. China's service trade volume grew 8% in the first eight months of this year. The service trade value reached 4.2 trillion yuan, roughly 590 billion U.S. dollars. Service imports climbed over 22% to nearly 2.5 trillion yuan, while service exports fell 7% from a year ago to 1.7 trillion yuan. China's trade in knowledge-intensive services stood at 1.8 billion yuan, posting double-digit growth. Another highlight was uh, travel services, which remain uh, the fastest-growing service trade field. During the period, uh, trade and services jumped around 70% to around 920 billion yuan. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, the home favorite crashes out at the ATP Shanghai Masters. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. 
Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 minutes past the hour now and turning to sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with tennis and Chinese player Zhang Zhijian has crashed out of the ATP Shanghai Masters after losing a fierce battle against Hubert Hercats in three sets. The home favorite was bidding to become the first Chinese man to reach the top 50 in the history of the world rankings, but fell to Hercats in the third set tiebreak. Hercats next faces Fabian Moratzan, who beat eighth seed Kasper Root. Hercats can equal his best Masters 1000 result of the season, a semi-final showing in Cincinnati. In other action, 19th seed Ben Shelton claimed a three-set win over Yannick Sinner, who headed to Shanghai fresh off a title victory at the China Open in Beijing. Shelton will face US compatriot Sebastian Corder in the quarterfinals. The Australian Open tournament director says Rafael Nadal will play at the Grand Slam in January. Craig Tilley says even though Nadal is still sidelined at the moment, chances for him to return to Melbourne Park remain high. You always get your hopes up because you want people like Rafa to be here. And, and, uh, and he, he particularly is someone who loves Australia, loves playing, is very well liked by everyone, liked, liked by all the staff and that too. So pretty excited to see him hitting and feeling really good about it. And, and obviously there's still a bit of time between now and, and January, but... Uh, um, if he stays healthy, that's important, but so far the, the early signs have been really good. Nadal has been out of action since January after hurting his hip flexor in a second-round defeat at the Australian Open. He underwent surgery on a hip muscle in June and was expected to be sidelined for about five months. UEFA has formally approved the UK and Ireland's bid to host Euro 2028. For the 2028 edition, hosts England, Northern Ireland, Ireland, Scotland and Wales are expected to go through qualification for the tournament. Former Wales and Real Madrid star Gareth Bale expressed his delight over the announcement. I think it's important for especially Wales to, to keep on the map, to keep pushing forward, to keep trying to uh, better ourselves. So I think yeah, having a, a major tournament now um, internationally in our country as well as obviously the UK and Ireland is, um, is massively important and um, yeah, glad I could be a part of it again and uh, hopefully it can uh, do a great job like I'm, I'm sure the fans will turn up and do, do like they normally do. Turkey and Italy will host Euro 2032 together. World Cup winning Italy goalkeeper Gigi Buffon was also excited about this development. This is a great thrill, a great satisfaction, and now a great responsibility that we will share together with Turkey and hope to live up to. The Italian and Turkish football associations initially applied separately for Euro 2032, but the two countries finally decided to submit a joint bid for the tournament. Former Chelsea and Real Madrid forward Eden Hazard has announced his retirement from football at the age of 32. Hazard won two Premier League titles at Stamford Bridge, where he also enjoyed his best form. In July 2019, Hazard joined Real Madrid in a deal worth a club record £130 million, but the Belgian struggled with injuries and made just 76 appearances in four seasons at Real before leaving in the summer. Two second-half goals earned the Chinese men's football team a 2-0 win against Vietnam in an international friendly. Following a disappointing 1-0 loss against Syria, Team China coach Alexander Yankovic made multiple changes to his lineup, including introducing youngsters who participated in the Asian Games. Wang Chu Ming broke the deadlock with his maiden international goal in the 56th minute, before Wu Lei sealed the win for China with a stoppage time goal. Yankovic believes the team still needs to improve. We lost control in the first half and that is not good. 
and the fact that we did it without scoring the goal before scoring the goal proves that uh, the problem in the first half was uh, mental. One month before the, the beginning of qualifiers, this kind of game is very, very important, precious for us, as well as the game against Syria. China is set to play its last warm-up against Uzbekistan next week ahead of its FIFA World Cup Asian qualifiers in November. Organizers have postponed the opening games of the Israeli clubs in the Basketball Champions League scheduled for next week due to the security situation in the country. FIBA's decision includes the Group G game between Hapoel Jerusalem and SL Benefica, initially scheduled for October 17th in Israel. FIBA says it will now set up new dates when circumstances allow. Meanwhile, Israel's two opening matches in the women's handball Euro 2024 qualifiers have also been postponed. Montenegrin water polo coach Pitar Probabic, who just led the Chinese men's national team to win the silver medal at the Hangzhou Asian Games, has died at 67. Reports say the coach suffered a heart attack on the plane during his journey back home on Sunday. The cabin crew tried to resuscitate him but failed. Just a day earlier, Probich led the Chinese team to clinch a silver medal in the men's water polo final against Japan. In 2021, Probich led the Chinese women's national team to the Tokyo Olympics. And finally, the official World Golf Ranking Board will not give world ranking points to live golf players. They have determined that they cannot fairly measure them with the other 24 tours around the world. The OWGR rejected the application from Saudi-backed Live Golf, first submitted in July 2022, after the league already had played two of its 54-hole no-cut events. In a statement, Live Golf said it believes the decision leaves golf without a true or global scoring and ranking system. Live Golf can reapply to be a part of the OWGR system. However, the board made it clear that turnover, objective access to Live Golf, and relegating players who don't perform remain key points in getting ranking points. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, the Tokyo International Film Festival will honor one of China's top directors later this month. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment, and Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. Leading Chinese film director Zhang Yimou will receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Tokyo International Film Festival later this month. Zhang will receive the award during the festival's opening ceremony on October 23rd. Additionally, his full river red, which was a box office sensation in China at the beginning of the year, will play as a gala selection during the Tokyo Festival. Zhang is currently riding high at the Chinese box office with another title, Under the Light, which is still on commercial release, and has raked in over a billion yuan or 130 million US dollars in box office. Shanghai Fashion Week for Spring Summer 2024 is underway in style. The week-long fashion shows highlight sustainability this year as designers are embracing natural fabrics and eco-friendly practices. Chen Tong spoke to the designers and business insiders. Simple cuts and colors. The opening show by domestic fashion brand Icico showcases 48 looks inspired by nature. It's their first appearance at the Shanghai Fashion Week, and they are emphasizing the use of natural fabrics in their collection. We are proud of it. 
We are happy to participate to this uh, global industry in fashion because we are all passionate about it. We want to show that we make beautiful uh, everyday garments for a real reason. A sustainability forum was also held in Shanghai, highlighting the importance of reducing waste in the fashion industry. Brands and industry insiders say the process remains expensive at present, but they add it's an ideal worth striving for. In the current industrial chain, insisting on sustainability requires a lot of money, but it's also a growing trend. More consumers will adopt sustainable lifestyles. We need to cooperate with partners upstream and downstream to lower our costs. The designers, the, the fashion industry in Shanghai has their industry uh, advantage, a lot of advantage. Um, but I think they need to kind of open their eye and also to have more collaboration with uh, kind of uh, um, other um, players in the system, like those uh, shopping mall, community, uh, technology, to make their kind of fabric design be more connected to the whole ecosystem. Over 1,000 young designers will showcase their latest sustainable designs at this season's trade fair during the week-long event. This season's Shanghai Fashion Week is once again focusing on sustainable fabrics, and that's quite apparent while walking around the trade fair. While China is the largest producer and exporter of apparel textiles, but Shanghai is giving out a signal to the industry to reduce waste, and that starts at Fashion Week. That was Chen Tong on the Shanghai Fashion Week. More than 2,000 works from nearly 20 countries will feature at the first Beijing International Week of Intangible Cultural Heritage. Around 150 representatives from the Intangible Cultural Heritage field will be invited to engage in heritage dialogues at events opening on October 22nd. It aims to establish an important platform for international exchange and cooperation in intangible cultural heritage. It's also expected to promote the global dissemination of Chinese culture, deepen cross-cultural exchanges and advance the development of intangible cultural heritage worldwide. And finally, the Mongolian capital has celebrated the 15th anniversary of the Confucius Institute at National University in Ulaanbaatar. Nearly 100 representatives from the Chinese and Mongolian education sectors attended the ceremony. Chinese Ambassador Shen Mingjuan said at the event that she hoped that the institutes will continue to cultivate more Chinese talents and successes for China-Mongolia friendship. She also urged the two sides to deepen people-to-people ties. Right, thank you very much. And that was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour. Beijing's at 12 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, a light rainfall and 17 Celsius. Chongqing has a light rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 18, a high of 21. Last is getting showers overnight. Those continue through the day tomorrow with a low of 6 and a high of 17. Hong Kong's at 25 this evening, sunny and 30 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 14 overnight. It'll be mostly sunny and 24 on Thursday. Islamabad's down to 18 degrees, then sunny and 30. Bangkok has a light rainfall overnight, 24 degrees, then moderate rain and 33 on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting clouds and 28 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 16 this evening, then sunny and 32. Auckland's down to 11, then cloudy and 17. Port Vila overcast and 27 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today. Uh, China is marking the progress of the Belt and Road Initiative as Beijing and its partners celebrate 10 years of cooperation under that framework. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.
Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west. People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 